0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. I want to thank you uh, once again for giving me the invitation to come and lead this uh, workend, ap- weekend apologetics conference. And I'm very grateful for those of you who were able to be here either Friday night or yesterday. And uh, Brother Adam, I thank you so much for uh, considering me on uh, leading these conferences. The few times I have been able to be here over the last year or two. I have really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed our times of fellowship and our times of Bible study together. Uh, I do bring you greetings uh, from Dr. John Yates, who is our executive director, and from the other state missionaries uh, who serve this church and 1,800 other Missouri Baptist churches. Uh, It is a privilege for us to serve you. We appreciate your prayerful support, and your financial support of the state missionaries who help start new churches, feed the hungry, provide disaster relief, provide training in conferences and many other ministries throughout the state. And that wouldn't be possible without your faithfulness in prayer and in giving. So thank you so much for that. Well, we're wrapping up our weekend conference on apologetics, and um, I'm glad there were notebooks for you to have, and I appreciate you putting... Our lessons uh, on the website so you can catch up if you miss that Um, but just a quick summary of where we've been so far Um, on Friday night uh, we began by talking about Christian apologetics Uh, that is a word that very simply means to offer a reasonable defense of the Christian faith that English word apologetics comes from a Greek noun and variations of it that appear about 20 times in the new testament and so when you read through the new testament when you see the word defense or defend or defending more often than not that is a english translation of the greek noun apologia or one of its uh, variations and so uh, apologetics is simply offering a reasonable defense of the christian faith and even more than that is the way we're to do it we're to do it with gentleness and respect friday night we began by looking at uh, a couple of questions Uh, one is that if there are seven billion people in the world and about four and a half billion of them do not profess or embrace christianity how can the majority of the world's population be wrong Well, one of the things we determined according to Scripture is that truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. And that those who stand outside the kingdom of God are at great disadvantage and in great peril. Uh, The Bible describes the unbeliever as being natural. That means the person who is alive in body and in soul, but dead in spirit because the spirit of God does not reside there. The unbeliever is also blinded. By Satan, Paul writes, and bound by Satan, captive by him, and taken by him to do his will. The unbeliever is alienated from God and an enemy of God. Not that God is his enemy, but that person makes God his or her enemy through their unbelief. And that that person is, as Paul describes in Ephesians 2, spiritually dead. The temples of our bodies uh, have an innermost part called the spirit that God intends to be his holy of holies, and the unbeliever, by rebellion against God, has pushed God out of there. So the unbeliever is in great peril and at great disadvantage. Then we went on and we looked at how there is unbelief and false teaching not only out in the world, uh, but it also exists at times within our churches. And we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul gives us three markers of false apostles who had infiltrated the church at Corinth and they're good markers for us to use today. Paul said we need to be aware of those who preach another Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. And so who Jesus is is a very important question to answer correctly. Who is the Holy Spirit? is an important question to answer correctly and what is the gospel what is the true good news is an important question to answer correctly as well so we looked Friday night at those three markers and we laid them against some false belief systems and some false uh, forms of Christianity as well and then yesterday we moved on and we looked uh, a little more specifically at some false belief systems that are very popular Uh, in the world today and we said really every belief system uh, has four basic uh, common threads that run through them. There is a problem. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with the world? What is the answer to that problem? Uh, How do I get from the problem to the solution and who is the best example for me? And When we looked at those four guideposts Uh, We saw that when we talk about Hinduism or Buddhism or uh, Islam uh, that they all have uh, answers to those questions. They have identified a problem. They've offered a solution. They've had uh, a means to get from the problem to the solution. And they've had a person who served as an example. But in every case, those four guideposts do not align with Scripture and so it's important for us to know uh, what man's problem is man's problem is sin what is the solution to man's problem well that is salvation that God has provided well how do we get there we get there by the grace of God alone through faith in Christ alone that through his finished work on the cross he's provided everything necessary for us to be forgiven of our sins and brought back into a right relationship with God and then who is the example that we hold up well Christ is he is our Lord he is our Savior he is the one who paid our sin debt and he is the one who we should seek to imitate in our lives and then we spent the rest of the day looking at uh, three different uh, belief systems we spent some time looking at Hinduism we spent some time looking at Buddhism and we spent some time looking at Scientology and we saw how their beliefs and practices while they are sincerely believed and carried out run contrary to what the Bible teaches about who God is who man is what man's problem is what is the solution to that and how do we apply the solution that's offered to us and so this morning what I want for us to do in wrapping up our time together is looking at how we can share our faith with people who don't share our faith. When we encounter people uh, who may ring our doorbell and want to give us some literature or start a Bible study in our home, or when we sit on a bus or on an airplane next to people who embrace um, a non-Christian world religion, how do we engage them in conversation? And how can we do so in a way that's biblically faithful and loving? So I want for us to look together at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. You and I will probably never be experts on Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam or the LDS teachings or the Watchtower teachings, but we should know what we believe and why we believe it so that when counterfeits come along, we'll be able to identify them and engage people lovingly and respectfully in sharing our faith. And Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 15 and 16. And Peter writes, 1 Peter 3, verse 15, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. Your translation may say, but set apart or sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning father we thank you for your word and we believe it is absolutely true father that your word has all that is necessary for life and for godliness and father I pray this morning as we look at just some of what your word has to say about engaging people in loving and respectful conversations people who have rejected the person and work of Christ, that you'll give us wisdom, you'll give us insight, and, Lord, as you give us opportunity, that we will do so and share the truth of Jesus Christ in a way that is honoring and faithful to you. Thank you for each person here. I pray for a blessing on each life. I pray for a blessing on each family. I pray for a blessing, Lord, on this church. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Peter here in writing uh, to us makes one thing pretty clear, and that is apologetics or defending the Christian faith is not the exclusive job of the pastor. It's not the exclusive job of the church staff. It's not the exclusive job of your state missionaries or your North American missionaries or your international missionaries. Peter is writing to everyday ordinary believers, and he's saying that we should always be ready to offer a defense. There's that word apologia, to offer a defense of the Christian faith and to do so with gentleness and respect. So how do we uh, always be ready uh, to offer a defense with gentleness and respect? Well, I think God's word uh, gives us at least three very simple very straightforward steps that we can take in sharing our faith and that's what i want for us to look at together uh, this morning three very simple steps for sharing our faith effectively with those who don't share our faith well first of all i think god's word tells us to be ready we should be ready And Peter writes about that very clearly. He says, we should set apart the Lord God, sanctify the Lord in our hearts, and always be ready to offer a defense, to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And that is a charge to every one of us as believers. So if we're supposed to be ready, uh, how can we be ready? Well, I think there are several uh, ways that God's Word tells us we can be ready. First of all we need to be ready in our own hearts. In other words we have to have our relationship with God settled. Jesus told a number of parables warning us, urging us to be ready. He said you don't know at what time I'm going to return. You don't know when the master is going to return and what will the master find you doing when he does so be ready and so that means that we need to first of all settle our relationship with christ we need to know that we have an everlasting unbreakable covenant relationship with god that's entered into by the grace of god alone through faith in christ alone jesus has done all of the work necessary for us to be forgiven of our sins, and to be brought back into a right relationship with God. Through his sinless life, through his sacrificial and substitutionary death on the cross, through his physical resurrection from the dead, Christ has conquered Satan, sin, and death for us. All of the work necessary for us to have eternal life has been accomplished in Christ. And so what do we need to do? We need to do what Jesus says when he lays down the requirements for eternal life in John five twenty four. He says, the one who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life and will not come into condemnation because they passed from death unto life. So what are the requirements for eternal life? We hear the gospel message. We hear the word of God. And we believe we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ so the first step in being ready is to know that we have an everlasting personal unbreakable relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ then I think another uh, way that you and I can be ready is once we've settled that eternal question in our hearts is that uh, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it we were talking yesterday during some of the break times about the fact that um, many of the counterfeit forms of christianity like the watchtower and the lds church have drawn into their membership many evangelical christians including southern baptists well why is that How can those who proclaim another Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel uh, draw people who are supposed to be evangelical Christians into their fold? I think one of the answers to that is so oftentimes we don't know what we believe. Just about everybody professes a belief in Jesus. Our Muslim friends say they believe in Jesus and have a high regard for Jesus, but they believe in a Jesus who is only human. He's not divine. A Jesus who didn't die on the cross or rise from the dead. Our Mormon friends believe in a Jesus who's really not any different than you and me. He just progressed to Godhood ahead of us, and we can become gods too, just as Jesus did. Our Jehovah's Witness friends believe in a Jesus who's a created being, created as Michael the Archangel. Well, that's a different Jesus from the Jesus of the Bible, so we need to know who the real jesus is we also need to know who the real holy spirit is the holy spirit's not an impersonal force the holy spirit is not an angel the holy spirit is the third person of the triune godhead co-equal and co-eternal with god the father and god the son Uh, And he is the one who draws the unbeliever to faith in Christ. And then he comes and takes up permanent residence in our human spirit. He indwells us. He seals us. He sets us apart. He marks us as God's own. He gives us spiritual gifts. He helps us understand the book that he authored. And uh, he brings us comfort and strength and encouragement. He is personal and he's divine. And we need to know what the real gospel message is the real gospel message is that you and i are forgiven of our sins and brought back into a relationship with god by the grace of god alone through faith in christ alone apart from any human effort jesus finished the work necessary to pay our sin debt and to bring us back to our offended and holy god and when we know what the Bible teaches about who God is, about who we are, uh, about uh, who uh, the three persons of the triune Godhead are, about what salvation is, about what the Bible is, about our unbreakable relationship with God, about the return of Christ one day physically, visibly, personally, in power and great glory, when we know the non-negotiables that define what it means to be a Christian then it won't matter what the counterfeit is when it comes along we'll be able to identify that so we need to be ready by knowing what we believe and why we believe that well another way that we are ready is we can learn a little bit about other belief systems that doesn't mean we need to become uh, experts in uh, the doctrines of the LDS Church or the Watchtower or Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism, but it helps if we know a little bit about what they believe and practice. and That way, we'll be able to have a reference point, first of all in identifying that what they believe is contrary to the Word of God, but we'll also have enough of a knowledge so we'll be able to engage them in conversation. For example, if we are going to talk about Jesus to people who uh, believe uh, in other, uh, re- follow other religious practices, we need to know first of all who Jesus really is. But it also helps to know when we talk to to Jehovah's Witnesses who might ring our doorbell that they are going to profess belief in a Jesus who is a created being. He was created as Michael the Archangel then 2,000 years ago, recreated as a human being, Jesus the man, who then ceased to exist when he died on a torture stake, and then three days later was not resurrected. He was recreated as an exalted Michael the archang- archangel who returned to earth invisibly in 1914. Now, that is not the Jesus of Scripture, but it's good to know when they ring your doorbell, they profess a different Jesus. When we talk to our Muslim friends about Jesus, it may surprise us to know that our Muslim friends have a very high regard for Jesus. In fact, they believe that Jesus is the second greatest of the 124,000 prophets that Allah has sent to mankind. He's second only to Muhammad. They also believe Jesus was born of a virgin, but they don't believe in a biblical virgin birth, they believe uh, that this was not God coming in human flesh. This was Allah placing a blob of tissue into the womb of Mary. And then Jesus uh, led a good life. Jesus was put on the cross, but Muslims don't believe Jesus died on the cross because they don't believe sin is mankind's problem. Mankind's problem is ignorance of Islam and pride and refusal to submit to the will of Allah. So Allah took Jesus off the cross and put in his place either Judas Iscariot or someone made to look like him. So we have a Jesus who, while a very good prophet, cannot be our savior. He didn't die on the cross. He didn't rise from the dead. And they do believe Jesus is coming back one day, but when he comes back, he's going to kill a pig because pigs are unclean. He's going to destroy all churches. He's going to break a cross. And he's going to establish islam as the one true religion on earth so you can see when we know who the real jesus is that makes a difference in how we talk about jesus to people who believe differently and so we need to be ready by first of all having our hearts right with god knowing what we believe knowing a little bit about what other folks believe and then i think there's one other way that we can be ready and that is for us to prepare some very simple questions in advance. Uh, Some very basic questions that we can ask anybody, whether they're an atheist, whether they're a Muslim, whether they're a Mormon, whether they are uh, of the the Jewish faith, um, or some other belief system. Very simple, non-threatening questions. Uh, For example, we could ask them uh, if they're a uh, Hindu, for example. We could say, uh, Have you been a Hindu your entire life, or did you convert to Hinduism? Uh, That makes a difference. Sometimes people are raised in a certain culture, they're raised in a certain faith, and they just believe that because their parents believed it, their grandparents believed it, their great-grandparents believed it. It's more cultural than it is a conscious, willful uh, embracing of a belief system. If they were converted to that faith, you could say, well, uh, how old were you when that happened? And what was it that caused you to believe that Hinduism was the one true religion? Uh, we could also ask them, have you ever investigated Christianity? What do you know about Jesus? What do you believe about him? Uh, what do you think man's greatest problem is? What's the one greatest problem that mankind wrestles with? And all of, belief systems of the world have an answer to that question, believe it or not, what mankind's problem is. Then you can ask, okay, if that's man's greatest problem, what do you believe is the solution to that problem? And how does a person get from that problem to that solution? Who do you think is the greatest person who ever lived? Who paves the way for us to provide for our beliefs? And so you can ask those questions. Those are pretty non-threatening questions. We're not poking a finger in their eyeball and telling them they're going to hell. We're asking them some very simple, basic questions that will help reveal where they're coming from in their journey of faith. So Peter tells us we need to be ready. And that's the first step for all of us. There's a second step, I believe, and that is to be gracious. We want to be ready, first of all, but secondly, we want to be gracious. Peter here, you know, and Peter could be a pretty straightforward, in-your-face kind of guy. I think he mellowed and matured as he grew in his walk with the Lord. Because by the time he writes 1 Peter 3, uh, he's not wanting to call fire down from heaven. He's not taking out a sword and cutting off somebody's ear. Uh, you know, he's, he's not telling Jesus he can't go to the cross. Uh, Peter's saying, look, we got to be ready, but when you share your faith, do it with gentleness and respect. Our goal when we talk to somebody who's outside the kingdom of God should not be primarily to win a debate. It should not be primarily to get the last word in. It should not be to shout over the top of that person until that person gives up and goes away. Our goal should be to leave a gracious word of truth and to leave it with gentleness and respect. So when we talk about graciousness, what do we mean by that? Well, I've just sketched down a few uh, thoughts about that and being gracious. One thing we can certainly do is we can resist rudeness. We can resist rudeness. Um, I, I know that when people come to your door from counterfeit forms of Christianity, they always come right when you're sitting down to dinner. Or just about when you're getting ready to go in your car and leave, you've got some place to be. And so that usually gives us a good excuse to tell them to go away. Uh, Sometimes I've had people tell me, I saw those people come to my door. I told them they're going to hell. And I slammed the door in their face. I guess I told them. Yeah, you told them that you're really a rude person who cares nothing whatsoever about them. Uh, So we have to avoid rudeness. Uh, I remember several months ago I was speaking in one of our Missouri Baptist churches um, and uh, they had asked me to come and talk about Jehovah's Witnesses and how the beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses are different from those of Orthodox Christianity and so uh, I did and I tried to be very gentle and very respectful in acknowledging the difference in beliefs and after services were over I noticed there was a young lady kind of standing off to the side and she waited till everybody else had sort of come through and said their goodbyes. She came over and she shook my hand and introduced herself. And she said, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. And she said, I came today because somebody invited me to come. They told me you were going to talk about Jehovah's Witnesses. And I said, Well, thank you for coming. And I said, I know we probably don't agree on a lot of things, but I, I hope I accurately and faithfully represented what you believe and I hope that I respectfully pointed out the differences and um, so we talked for a while and uh, she shared with me some of her experiences about how she'd been treated at the door because uh, she, she has been a Jehovah's Witness a long time and she talked about people slamming the door in her face uh, people telling them well I go to the Christian church you're gonna die and go to hell and she said they seemed real happy about that and she said one person pulled a gun on me at the door, uh, and t- told me to get off their property, and uh, so that's not that's not the way to be gentle and respectful in treating people with gentleness and respect. so We don't want to be rude. Uh, secondly, we want to avoid arguments and accusations. Uh, to to uh, uh, shake a fist. At someone uh, to get right up nose-to-nose with them and shout them down and uh, accuse them of being false prophets and accuse them of of uh, being unbelievers and of of telling them they're gonna die and go to hell and all of that even if there's truth in what you say the way you say it can make a huge difference and so oftentimes trying to avoid having arguments which are different than having respectful discussions, but arguments and accusations really don't end up getting us anywhere at all. So we want to avoid that. Third, we want to respect their sincerity. Uh, People who embrace false belief systems aren't joking around. They are searching for the truth. They believe they have found the truth. And one of the worst things you can do when somebody is sincere is to undermine that sincerity. So we need to respect it. People who are Hindus are sincere in their faith. People who are Buddhists are sincere in their faith. People who are Scientologists are sincere in what they believe. They're not fooling around. And so to respect their sincerity is a good way to get a listening ear from them. Which leads to the next point, and that is to be a good listener. Uh, When sharing our faith with gentleness and respect, it helps if we probably listen more and talk less. Listen to what they believe. Ask them why they believe that. Ask them how they know that that's true. Ask them if they've considered other points of view. And then listen respectfully to them. And then we should also affirm common beliefs. Uh, not everything that Hindus believe is false. Not everything Buddhists believe is false. Not everything Mormons believe is false. There are some common areas of belief. And sometimes that's a good starting point if we can find some common ground at which to begin. And from there, we can begin to talk about our differences and point them to the truth of the gospel. And then lastly, in being gracious, once we've been respectful, once we've been good listeners, once we've treated them kindly, uh, once we've found some common ground, then that's a good uh, uh, foundation for us then to begin to look at differences and say, you know, I appreciate you telling me who you believe Jesus is. Do you mind if I share with you who I believe the Bible teaches Jesus really is? Where I appreciate you telling me how you believe man can become an exalted God just as Jesus did. Can I share with you what I believe the Bible teaches about the doctrine of salvation? So if we're, first of all, ready, if we're prepared, and then secondly, in our encounters, if we're gracious, then I think there's a third and final step that we need to take, and that is to be clear. So we want to be ready, we want to be gracious, and we want to be clear. And that is, in our conversations, uh, we do want to establish some ground rules for our conversation. I have talked to people, and you may know some people at well as well, who said, well, I invited some Jehovah's Witnesses into my house, and after about 10 minutes, I could see we weren't going anywhere, so I asked them to leave, and they refused. And uh, I even had one person said, I called the cops because I couldn't get them to leave. They said they weren't leaving until I was willing to start a Bible study with them in my home. So I called the cops. And you know what the cops told me? You invited them in, it's up to you to get them out. And uh, so you need to establish some ground rules. Some people are very comfortable in inviting others into their home and having even repeated visits with them. And if you're comfortable doing that, I mean, that's fine. I wouldn't want to discourage that. Uh, In most cases, uh, what I would recommend when somebody comes to the door, uh, I usually step outside. I step out on the front porch with them. Uh, That helps me establish some ground rules with them. Uh, And that uh, allows me to say, look, I have limited time to spend with you. Um, and uh, but I appreciate your coming. Uh, let's have a nice conversation for just a few minutes. By stepping outside, uh, you have begun the process of establishing ground rules, which means then by doing that, you can give them a time frame. You can say, look, I appreciate you being here. I've just got a few minutes to talk with you. Do you have just a few minutes? More often than not, they're going to say, well, sure, we do. We're glad that you're going to talk to us and that leads to the next part of being clear and that is to control the conversation one of the things that i have done wrong so so many times at the door is I will let them drive the conversation. I'll let them drive the agenda. They know exactly what they want to talk about when they come to your door. I even have purchased from the Watchtower a little booklet, a training booklet that says when you go to the door and you talk about this, here's how they're going to respond. They might say this, they might say this, or they might say this and here's how you answer them back. So they're very well prepared, which I really admire in them. They're prepared to share their faith but if you allow them to lead the conversation you may never get to the point of getting to the gospel message itself so the way what I would recommend doing in controlling the conversation is to uh, stay on topic and to say look I appreciate your being here I only have a few minutes do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions and that's when you can ask them some questions about what they believe about Jesus, what they believe about the Holy Spirit, what they believe about the gospel. Um, I think even more effective at times is to say, look, I only have a few minutes, so let's just cut to the chase. You know, you do such a great job, so faithful, of going to the Kingdom Hall every week, and you read the literature the Watchtower gives you, and you go door to door, oftentimes with people who are very rude and hostile towards you, When you get done with this life, what do you hope to accomplish? When you've breathed your last, what do you expect to happen? And our Jehovah's Witness friends would say something like this. Well, when I die, I'm going to cease to exist. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in what we would call soul sleep. They would call it annihilation. They believe you can't separate the soul and the body. So when the body dies, the soul dies and ceases to exist. But here's what they'll say. If I have been found faithful by Jehovah, one day he will resurrect me, he will bring me into his millennial kingdom, and I will have the opportunity for a thousand years to prove myself faithful. And if at the end of the thousand years I prove myself faithful, then and only then I will be allowed to live in paradise on Earth. So I say to that, OK, so do you know for sure you're going to live in paradise on Earth? No, I don't know for sure. You can't know for sure. That's why I go door to door. That's why I try. Well, what about heaven? No heaven is for jesus and the 144,000. And there's virtually no hope of any Jehovah's witness born after 1935 of being in the 144,000. Their hope is to be the anointed class to maybe just maybe live forever in paradise on earth. But even if they've lived a faithful life now after they're resurrected, they got to live faithfully for another 1,000 years and say oh, that I appreciate your sharing with me that's very interesting do you mind if I can share with you my confidence in my eternal destiny I know what's going to happen to me when I die my body will go in the grave but my soul and spirit will be caught up to heaven to be with the Lord and then one day he's going to resurrect this body that's in the grave and reunite it in glory with my soul and spirit, and my salvation will be complete when I'll be fully conformed to the image of Christ. And Jesus said, as long as I live, you live, and wherever I am, you will be with me. And I know that I know that I know that's going to happen because Christ has paid my sin debt in full. And he has offered to me eternal life by his grace alone, Through faith alone. I don't have to go door to door. I don't have to be found faithful. I want to do that. I need to do that out of gratitude to God. But my eternal destiny hangs in the balance on the person and work of Jesus Christ. It doesn't depend on me. You can share that in just a few minutes at your door. A couple other things about being clear is that if they want to give you literature, uh, I always gladly take literature uh, from them, Um, and, and I offer to give them literature in exchange. Most of the time they won't take it. Sometimes they will, but I'm always willing to take that from them. And then one last thing you can do on being clear is say, do you mind, could I pray for you? and they may or may not allow you to do that, but that's a good way to close that conversation. You've stepped outside, you've controlled the conversation, you've limited the time, you've gotten to the bottom line on what this is all about, you've shared a graceful word of truth about the gospel message, and you've offered to pray with them. So we need to be ready, we need to be gracious, and we need to be clear. And then we need to just leave the results up to god it is not our responsibility to save anyone only god does that when we offer our uh, the gospel message with gentleness and respect it is then up to the holy spirit to convict the unbeliever as jesus said in john 16 of the sin of unbelief of the righteousness of christ and of the eternal peril that they will experience if they consciously, willfully, repeatedly reject the grace and the mercy of God. You and I are successful in sharing our faith whenever we share it with gentleness and respect. The results belong to God and so we can take comfort in knowing that we have done well what God has called us to do when we're ready, when we're gracious and when we're clear. Well, again, I want to thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to spend this weekend with you, Brother Adam. I appreciate you having me come uh, and the time I've been able to spend with you. What I would like for us to do before we have our closing hymn uh, is just have a a time of of prayer. Let me just ask you, if you would, where you're seated, just to close your eyes in prayer for a moment. Um, I don't know uh, anyone's heart this morning. There may be somebody here who's never received Christ by faith. And if you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I would encourage you, uh, as soon as we've closed with our hymn, to come and talk to me, talk to Brother Adam, and uh, we would be happy to counsel with you and pray with you. The Bible says we're all sinners, lost and separated from God, Christ came in the likeness of sinful and fallen flesh, yet he was perfect, and he offered his perfect life up on the cross in your place and mine. He took my sins. He took your sins. He paid them in full, and he rose from the dead to conquer Satan, sin and death for you. So what you need to say is to acknowledge you're a sinner to acknowledge that sin separates you from, you from God, but then to say, I confess my sins, I repent of my sins, and I give my life to you. And Jesus said when we do that, we've passed from spiritual death into spiritual life. Or maybe just where you are right now, you have a friend or a relative or a neighbor uh, who is caught in a false belief system of some kind maybe you just want to take a moment and pray for that person and for an opportunity to share your faith with them and then lastly maybe you're not quite ready to share your faith with others pray that the lord will help you be ready gracious and clear well let me lead us in prayer and then as soon as we're finished we'll have our closing hymn. father we thank you today that you are a good and gracious God one of the things we learned when looking at other belief systems is that without exception salvation is is acquired either through a combination of faith and works or accomplished by works alone how wonderful it is to worship a Lord and Savior who did all of the work for us And we simply by your grace through faith receive that forgiveness lord help us to appreciate fully appreciate all you've done for us and lord to be ready gracious and clear when we're able to share our faith with others Uh, lord i thank you for each person here i pray a blessing on each life and father i pray this morning if you're bringing conviction to our hearts about anything that we would settle it first with you and then Lord, settle it with others if that needs to be done as well. And Father, we just thank you again for this time and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.